like roll dice and, and see what comes up and then that just becomes part of their story. If it doesn't work out in the immediate future, it was a slightly longer looking fortune. If you play long enough, it'll eventually come true. Uh, Two don't weeks you ago, remember you had your fortune, fortune you had? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous Tarot Table in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 258 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about rolling the bones and telling the future. But first, the party meets up with the family in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Madani Prophet knows what's coming in the Character Creation Forge. This episode of Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Cobalt Press and the pocket edition of the Creature Codex. Look, do you love the Creature Codex so much that you want to keep it close to your heart? Yes, of course you do. Yes. You know, Shane, one time uh, when I was in the war, a copy of the Creature Codex caught a bullet for me that was aimed right from my heart because, of course, that's where I keep the Creature Codex. I mean, you should. I When I was... Uh... When I was president and somebody attempted to assassinate me, the Creature Codex actually protected my heart as well. Uh, and that's why the country is in such a state. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, act- actually, this part is true. The microphones that we both use um, are also used by uh, the Secret Service because they can deflect a bullet. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. They're, uh, <laughs> we, we do use uh, tour-grade, like, uh, audio production mics yeah like your your every every garage band in the country uses these mics as well. <laughs> um so they can beat each other to death with them anyway that's not the reason that you should buy the creature codex in fact it's it's defensive properties are not even certified by cobalt press however they do certify that there are nearly 400 foes in the original creature codex all for half the price 24.99 because it is a smaller soft cover version of the book which makes it more convenient and portable it has great imaginative creatures like the Keg Golem, the Shark Bull Ooze, the Bar Brawl, the Hierophant Lich, Wasteland Dragons, and hundreds more. And they're all playtested and built by the industry's best designers. So you can find out more at www.cobaltpress.com and tell them Podcast sent you. But also DSPN. Well, speaking of DSPN. Well, actually. Wait, actually. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, you may have heard earlier today, but Don't Split the Podcast Network is ending, disbanding, shutting its doors. Yeah. Uh, James and Rudy have decided that they just have too much on their plates. Um, so it is all amicable. Uh, it is all very nice. It has been a really nice run for us with them. It's not happening till the end of the year. So, you know, we got some time. You know, it's been a couple years for us since we joined ESPN. Um, you know, I personally am very thankful um, to have gotten to know James and Rudy during this time. Like they've they've been great. Um, many of you noticed that they have been the source of our sponsors, so that has been personally very valuable to us and and enabling us to do the things with the show that we want to do. Um, that's made it possible for us to hire an editor and save our family sanity. Um, you know, so between between all of those things, you know, some of the audience that we've shared, the 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 listeners who are here from DSPN or the shows on DSPN that um, found our listeners, right? Like we're thankful for all of that. Uh, it's kind of the end of a chapter, but um, fortunately for us, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, we will continue doing what we do until um, we can't for other reasons. And it's been really cool to, you know, get to know all of the other shows and the people who run the shows on the network. Um, you know, Redemption 
and Venture Maidens, uh, Dames and Dragons. Uh, you actually hear a fair number of ads for those shows here on uh, on this show. Um, you know, Sly for Flourish with Mike Shea, Behold Her, all those like they're cool people. Um, there won't be like a single repository to like go and listen to all the shows at the same time, but you already put them in your podcast app of choice. So I really think basically nothing changes for all of you. We weren't hosted by DSPN or anything like that. So there's no technical change on our end. We've always had our own website and our own repository. So um, as listeners, the only thing that will change is we'll no longer mention DSPN productions on the show, I guess. Um, and uh, no more of those audio drops, like those those ad drops in the middle, which I know some people will be very thankful for. I mean, unless you you know want to pay us to run an ad. I right. Guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we have some free space now. We have inventory. Exactly. <laughs> this space must go. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we're going to maintain ties with uh, everyone on the network. So, you know, in terms of like the friendship angle, nothing there changes either. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, congrats to James and Rudy that um, they have so many other things going on that are, you know, kind of they're making the choice that we can't fully support the network in the way that we have. So we're going to close it rather than let it kind of limp along and struggle. I mean, it's a tough decision, but um, I'm, I'm glad that they're kind of approaching it that way rather than letting it slip and fall by the wayside. Right. And, you know, we're going to be involved with as many of their projects as possible because they're all really interesting and cool. Right. And we'll keep talking about them here. So speaking of uh, closing doors and new ones opening... Where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign, Ishan? The Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in central Karnath, on the lightning rail to Korth, the party is chasing a killer. So after hopping back onto the lightning rail with a combination of uh, polymorphs and wild shape, the party settles in for the trip to Korth. The Lightning Rail gets there 200 miles later and enters through Northgate, one of the few entrances in the city's high stone walls, which are famed for never having been breached during the hundred years of the last war. And Switch adopts a new persona, taking the form of a striking blonde Carnathy, a guise she had used in the city some years before. And the party disembarks and have their IDs checked by White Lions, the military order in Korth that keeps the peace. Uh, as we find out, the country is under martial law. <laughs> it didn't really feel that way previously, but it's <laughs> definitely true here. So a grumpy porter demands them a storage fee for holding Ephraim's coffin. Which we can't afford. <laughs> <laughs> we spent all our money getting a coffin here. But he is easily convinced by the party's charm and guile and, mm, you know, subtle spells uh, to waive the fee. So from their vantage point here on the elevated platform, the party can see both the fortress palace of Crownhome, which is the residence of King Caius III, and then also the floating Tower of the Twelve, an arcane institution that gathers research from all of the dragon-marked houses and, some people say, works on nefarious things, some people say creates new technological wonders to make the place better. Who, who knows which to believe? The two things you <laughs> notice when you walk in. Weird foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> so the Orion Enclave is just a few blocks from the Lightning Rail Station, through streets lined by brutalist stone buildings. The Enclave Gate features the lighter geometric patterns favored in Breland. It is marked with a stylized unicorn, the Crest of the House. 
So just inside, they're approached by a low-level acolyte who quickly summons a higher-ranked house member to deal with this whole situation once the party shows him, uh, well, the foot of a corpse, which has a glimpse of Ephraim's dragon mark on it. Yeah, hey, we got one of yours here. Uh, <laughs> you want to come deal with us, please? It probably wasn't us who killed them, but hey, you might want to get someone who knows what they're doing. Right. So Hazel DeOrion shows up. Uh, she takes them deeper into the enclave to a chapel of the sovereign host, and all of them then lay out the body to rest on an altar. The party, though, is a bit skeptical that they're actually talking to someone who's important enough because they have big stuff to talk about. Uh, so she disappears, uh, and then reappears directly behind them, uh, using the teleportation power of her dragon mark to prove that she is high enough up in the house, maybe you just should tell me what's going on. Yeah, the party is like, we need to speak to a manager. No, 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 like a manager, manager. <laughs> you put on Karen hair. <laughs> yeah. All right, so then then the party says, all right, fine. Yes, you can examine Ephraim's body. You're, you're high enough up in this. She does, and then is satisfied that the party is actually returning the body of a house member, asks them to wait, and then leaves. After 20 long, moderately nervous minutes, a finely dressed woman storms into the chapel, flanked by four soldiers, confirming our fears. <laughs> <laughs> the party can see that she wears a signet ring exactly like Ephraim's, and she marches up to the body, grabs his face, and peers into it before breaking down in tears. She lashes out verbally at the party, alternating between insulting their incompetence and cursing Ephraim's foolhardiness. Yeah, she's not really sure who to blame here. The The party of obvious idiots who has shown up with the, the dead body of a house member or the dead house member who obviously got in over their head and is an idiot. We might be obvious idiots, Ishan, but we are bold obvious idiots and there's something <laughs> to be said for that. We rolled in with a corpse and said, oh no, it wasn't us. We didn't do it. We just, uh, we just found it. Only an idiot would walk in here with a corpse they had created. <laughs> So the party attempts to console her, explaining that Ephraim was a hero, that he had saved their lives four years ago on the Day of Mourning, and had saved many other lives, including refugees. And she seems a bit mollified by this, steadies herself, and then formally introduces herself as Velina de Orion, Ephraim's older sister and the head of their family line within the house. Because after being notified that uh, they had brought Ephraim's body back, uh, via Sivas Messenger Service, she had used her dragon mark to directly teleport from the Enclave in Ondare to Korth, hundreds of miles away. Oh, yeah, okay. We found the manager's manager. Got it. <laughs> and we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're talking about divinations, fortune-telling, Rolling the bones, uh, breeding the stars, I guess. Tea leaves. Oh, tea leaves. Tea leaves. Good one. Good one. First off, let's talk a bit about like what what are divinations, right? They're they're spells or you know tech or abilities, depending on what game you're playing, that offer information that comes from another place or another time. I find it hard to call technology part of divination. I mean, but I know what you're saying. It's just... well, well, look at something like um, Eclipse Phase, right? There's all kinds of like crazy time travel stuff. Lancer has paracausal entities. Right. No, sure. I know. It's just that like technology is rooted in science and divination is definitely not that. 
<laughs> maybe divination is also rooted in science. But yeah, we're not we're not talking about like you know I'm I'm using my Facebook portal to like look into a different space. Right. No, we're we're talking about like you know big data, uh, number crunching, predictive analytics on a you know universal scale kind of technology, not that. Right. <laughs> So this this could take the form in your story of like telling the future, usually in the short term, right? Um, or it could be sensory information. You're looking through walls, you're scrying, uh, reading other people's minds, things like that. It's information that is not possible to get in traditional ways or in a way that that involves like no magic or no like, you know, functionally magical technology. Yeah, and then I think what sets divination apart is that it's often unreliable information, right? It's not prophecy and it's not like a hard prediction. It's often hazy or filtered through a higher power or sometimes almost deliberately misleading. Yeah, like to use the tech analogy, it's not a it's not point to point, right? You usually have to call the operator, whether that's a god or some sort of like extra planar being to be like, hey, can you tell me about like the future or like this legendary item that, you know, has only been heard in whispers on the wind. Right. And it's often prone to the blind spots of your source of information. Right. So if you don't account for that factor, because, you know, a deity would never consider mortal intervention to be to factor in the outcome or you know your um massive algorithm doesn't account for whatever doomsday scenario like you'll get the wrong information because the source was not being misleading but is just wrong right through their kind of limited perspective right it could also just be the limitations of the ability or whatever medium you're using right like your tea leaves can tell you the future within the next half hour, but probably don't know what's happening next week. Sure. <laughs> Stupid tea leaves. You're using the wrong kind of tea leaves, obviously. Yeah, she, she used coffee grounds, obviously. Coffee grounds. You, uh, you got to go with matcha, okay? Because it's more <laughs> okay. concentrated. <laughs> they don't sell that at Dunkin' Donuts, Asian. Uh You're right, actually. Did you know that the espresso beans there are fair trade, but they don't advertise that because people would they think people would get angry and demand that the coffee be cheaper? I did not know that. Well, there you go. Boston. Uh, <laughs> Boston. All right. So fortune telling and future telling uh, may sound a bit like uh, prophecy, which we covered in a previous episode. I think they differ in sort of two key ways. One is prophecy is a plot device, right? It, it ties into the narrative for the whole party. Usually it has to do with the entire storyline. And information that you get from a prophecy is usually not immediately actionable. You can't usually be like, oh, my, we got a prophecy let's go do the thing it's telling us to do immediately. Usually it's like, I have no idea what this means. I guess we'll see in six months. Yeah, whereas fortune telling is usually initiated by the players. Mm -hmm. um, they activate an ability or they choose to have their fortune read or you know, they cast a spell or, or do a ritual. Um, that means that it can happen at any time. And the GM has to be ready to react to that, right? It has to be ready to provide that type of divination interpretation given any course of action that the PCs are considering. Yeah, I think this is going to come up a lot in this episode. The uh, The agency is really on the side of the players, and that can mean that the GM is sort of um, put on on their heels. Uh, so it can you need a lot of prep to be ready for whenever the PCs might uh, invoke a divination. So let's talk a bit about how to create one. 
I think a lot of the techniques that you might use for riddles or prophecies are also applicable here. Um, look back at the riddles episode and also the prophecy episode. And the easiest one here is just use cryptic phrasing. Um, it helps that most of the abilities that let you see into the future specifically say the answer will be cryptic. Uh, it will be filtered through whatever entity is telling you this information, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you can, you know, lean into the tropes of poetry, right? Use metaphor. If, um, you know, the the uh, fortune telling or the divination uses the phrase the ninth life, for example, that could refer to maybe a tabaxi in the party or, you know, hint that one of the enemies you might be facing in the future is a tabaxi. Or it could be that, you know, someone refers to themselves as a cat burglar or anything along those lines. Yeah, you can also use synonyms. So things like, you know, if the name of a of a town is Greenport, you might call it Verdant Harbor. Um, might not directly tie to what they're thinking of at the time, right? Yeah, um, this is one of my favorite things to do simply because it's one of the easiest. Like, often the players will ask a question and you have a good idea of what information they're looking for because, you know, they're on a particular quest or a mission and they have a goal and, like, the GM knows what the goal is and other people at the table do too. Um, and often you just want to sort of point them in the right direction and be like, oh yeah, the location of the Temple of Elemental Evil is like at the top of this mountain here. All I need to do is get you to go there. But it doesn't make any sense in game for the divination to say, here's the latitude and longitude of the Temple of Elemental Evil, even though mm -hmm. that would be easiest. Yeah. So but I, need, I, I need something thinly veiled to get you going to the right mountain. Right, and like really thinly veiled, right? Like I would like you to figure this out over the weekend before our next session. <laughs> right. Another option here is wordplay. Um, homonyms are great here. Y you know, use a phrase like the rising sun, especially if it's a spoken divination or something that uh, a player hears in their ears. Does that mean rising sun, S-U-N? And of course that means to the east or the rising sun, S-O-N, a scion of a noble house who uh, you need to defeat. Yeah, and the, the value of cryptic phrasing, of course, is that it gives you cover to change things or make sure that your prediction comes true, right? It gives you some flexibility in the interpretation so that you can tie it all together more neatly, um, whereas if you spell things out very specifically, right? If you do this, you will die. Well, there's really only one way to make that outcome work. It probably involves dying. Yeah, and that strips agency away from the players. So they say, well, I'm going to do this anyway, and now you either have to kill them or you have to prove that you know whatever was telling the future or the player's own ability is unreliable and kind of useless. Right, exactly. And that's, that's what you're trying to balance here is the usefulness of the ability with the quality of information uh, to driving the plot forward in the story. It's also nice because if, if it's cryptic, then it doesn't have to have a specific solid meaning in the moment. It just needs to have a solid meaning once players feel like they've discovered what the meaning is. Right. You know, like, I'll just sort of leave this open for the future. Um, I think what that means for a GM is that you should probably try to prep some phrases ahead of time if you know your players have these abilities and tend to use them. Um, so when you create a place, right, it might be good to make your divination synonym for that place at the same time. Uh, when you, you know... Uh, kind of create an NPC, you might find some way of referring to them in divination that's more cryptic than just their name, something like that. 
Yeah, and even your players, right? The the characters that they've made, you have a set of five or six of them. You can come up with different names for them in, in your off time and or in your downtime, right? Just jot it down somewhere and you can always throw that in a divination. Keep those in your notes and then when someone's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to cast the divination spell and you're like oh crap uh hold on give me a second let me just flip to the notes of all the metaphor names i came up for you guys right and players if you have divinations available or you know you want to be a fortune telling character or you you know that in town you want to have your fortune told any of those things let your gm know ahead of time let them know that this is something you're interested in something that you want to incorporate into the story because that gives them time to prepare something that's actually good and useful and meaningful on both sides, you want to err on the side of being helpful, right? Um, as a player, you're expending resources to do this. So the GM wants to make that resource expenditure valuable. Um, likewise, as as the player, you want to do this in a way that is helping the GM move the plot, not in a way as like kind of a gotcha or, or like kind of an adversarial approach, right? Like it's a way of gathering more information to consider what to do, not a way of like, needling the gm for not having prepared for every contingency right yeah always always have in mind like how does this move the, move the plot forward and avoid trying to basically sort of cook up individual plot hooks for yourself that you can use but no one else can because that just derails the storyline yep and then the farther away the effect looks the divination effect the fortune telling or whatever whether that is through space, right? If you're looking at a place far away, like scrying, or through time, you know, you're looking into the future to see something that will happen. The farther away that that event is, the blurrier it can be. Um, and that can just be, whoa, it's, you know, there are so many different timelines. A year from now, it's hard to predict, but here's one possible outcome. Or on the other side of the world, that's blurry because you're going through the entire planet. But here's what it kind of looks like through this hazy mist. Yeah, I actually, I like to go the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. um, and something that I did in 40K was the further away an event is, the more concrete you can make it because you have so much more time in the plot to bring those elements together, right? And you get a bit of that like ironic distance from the players as they see things moving towards that vision. Um, like I think one example was Doc. Um, <laughs> he literally, uh, when he rolled his corruption, right? Like one of his corruptions was that he was fated to become a uh, demon prince or whatever, right? Like he was he was fated to not die from corruption, but actually like become a uh, an adherent of Zinch. And so, like I got to play with that a lot because I didn't know when it was going to happen, right? But I had a good idea that like the end game of Doc was going to be dying from corruption. He wasn't going to get shot to death, at least not by an enemy. <laughs> <laughs> and also Cam has an AC fetish, so you were pretty sure he wasn't going to get shot to death. Well, it, you know, it's a it's a dodge fetish in, uh, in 40K, <laughs> but same difference. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice here. It sort of blurs the line a bit with, um, with Prophecy, where you were sort of betting that as a GM, you are going to be able to pull these strings together sometime in the next like 10 to 20 sessions, right? You, yeah. You've got a lot of leeway, you've got a lot of time. And it's nice when the player and the character knows this divination, right? Has their fortune told, um, is told their doom, and then can lean into making it happen or, or that changes the personality or the way that the character plays so that it makes that outcome more likely anyway. 
Right. And and one way to hedge this, of course, is to only show like part of the situation, right? So the gun goes off and the NPC dies, but you're not showing who's holding the gun, right? So you have this like premonition and this this ominous divination coming, um, but you don't necessarily know the full context of how it comes around, right? It could be that that NPC who was a friend is actually a traitor. Um, it could be an enemy executes them. It could be an ally, right? Like all of those variables are still up. The thing that you know is that the gun goes off. You don't necessarily even know what the, what the outcome of the bullet is, right? It's just that it's being held and it gets fired. Yeah, you can you sort of combine the blurriness of a distant future with the certainty of a particular outcome because you're sort of looking through the future uh like tunnel vision. Right. So exactly. you see yeah, you see the gun, but then as it as that moment in time becomes closer, the the view sort of zooms out a bit and then you eventually get the entire scene and all the context. Right. And if you can pull it off, right, like the, the clever narrative move is to re recontextualize it several times over the course as you approach it until mm -hmm. you eventually end up either confirming or subverting. Um, that can always be difficult and it can be very heavy handed for the players as well. So, you know, you kind of got to measure your progress against that just as a general gameplay tip. So let's talk about running divinations in your game. Mechanics, for example, how do they work, Ishan? <laughs> so like we said, these are typically not created ahead of time. I mean, I guess you could be the kind of GM who writes down a bunch of different divinations, but in most scenarios, you have players who are sort of like workshopping questions ahead of time or workshopping with the party, like, what should I ask? How do I phrase this specifically? So it's really difficult to actually come up with them ahead of time, which means you're doing it in the moment. Mm -hmm. The player's deciding when to use it. You're making it up, it up on the fly. These are abilities like, you know, casting the bones, um, doing an augury with like bird entrails and, and higher level abilities, contact of other plane, object readings and things like that. I like to have the player like go to the book, read the parameters of the ability, read the, uh, the spell or whatever it is, like list the info that you expect to be gained out loud, not just to me, but to everybody at the table. Because this familiarizes everyone at the table with the ability, it sets the expectations of what kind of information you're gonna get, and also it gives me a lot more time to figure out what the hell I'm gonna say because they're spending all this time reading. Yeah, and then from a from a game world perspective, right, it also helps crystallize and contextualize what the player is asking for out of this divination because that's always a piece of it, right? Is you don't you don't just throw the bones and see what happens. You you do that because you're looking for some type of insight. Um you need the player to actually declare what that insight they're looking for is. Yeah, and especially if like if there's a a role involved somehow, uh like a, a skill ability or something like that you want them to declare what they want first before they roll it and see how well they do also consider the limitations of whatever ability they're using um you know you might have a guarantee that the information is truthful you might not um you know the reliability of the information the contemporaneousness of the information you know like is it current is it historic is it too far in the future um all of those things can kind of come into play um, the other thing is like the higher level abilities, right? Like the the bigger the investment tend to have fewer limitations. You want to provide more value. Whereas like if you have a character who is a fortune teller as a background, for example, and and as a tick, right, will, you know, do a, a tea leaf reading um, before going into combat just to to center themselves, right? 
you can basically roll on a table for what that outcome is. <laughs> They're not expecting any information from the thing they do as like, you know, my preparing for battle thing. I, I take a tea leaf for eating. Okay, roll, roll it. It's going to go bad. It's going to go poorly. Like sometimes the leaves are wrong. They're not expecting anything. That's fine. That's the limitation of the ability. It's a, mm -hmm. it's less than a cantrip even, you know, like it's not even a skill proficiency. Right. But if uh, the outcome of locating the um, temple for the final battle of the campaign sort of rests on this divination, well, I mean, in that case, you're definitely going to give it to them. So you just want to like casually cloak it in metaphor so they definitely yeah. get it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't bottleneck yourself like that. But but yes, if if the stakes are much higher, then you're going to want to give uh, more useful information. Yeah. <laughs> Wheel or woe. It's going to be woe. That must be the way to go. <laughs> going to the Temple of Elemental Evil is going to hurt, obviously. That's, that's the woe path. <laughs> it's woe for them. Right. You know, they they spent millennia working on this ritual. How tragic. <laughs> it's like, wait, wheel or woe from whose perspective, though? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that you should try to do as much of all of this out loud as possible, above the table, in character, whatever. Just so, one, it takes more time. Uh, and two, it gets everyone on the same page. You're setting the expectations with the player. Players, you're setting the expectations with the GM, right? You don't want to expend an ability and then have the GM give you useless information because they didn't understand the parameters of the ability that you're using, right? So explicate. What is it that you're looking for? Here's the information that I want to get out of this. This is why I'm using a fourth or fifth level spell when like, I could have just done a fireball. Uh, as as a GM, like pull that out of them. What is it that you want to know? Don't just tell me that you know you're you're killing a bird and reading reading its entrails. What are you looking for? What information do you want? And I think here, you can blur the line between in game and and out of game knowledge and character knowledge and player knowledge. If a character would know how to phrase the request, like you know you're a cleric of a knowledge deity, you know that like the particular phrasing that the player has suggested probably isn't specific enough, or you know. Uh, should be looking for something slightly different, it's fine to give the player guidance. You know, especially give them guidance if they're on the wrong track and are about to waste an ability. You could do that the sort of out of character, right? Like you frame it in mechanical terms. Here's what you're looking for. Cool. I, I'm with you. Now you're the knowledge cleric, right? You know how to petition your deity. How does a cleric do that, right? And then you kind of say that in character, knowing that the mechanics have already been established. And then I would say on the flip side, if if the PC wouldn't know how to do this, but the player is an experienced player and like knows how these kinds of abilities work and, and, and phrases something in the right way, I wouldn't penalize the character just because their player knows what's going on. Right. Like the whole point is to give information. You're, you're trying to get this out, but make people feel like they earned it. <laughs> exactly. Like you're, you're just, <laughs> you're, you're ultimately helping your own plot by doing this so like right keep them moving forward right just all of these are techniques to buy yourself time to get them forward because this is always an intrusion on whatever you had planned typically <laughs> so speaking of that consider what would be good for the story right like i think a lot of the questions you get about divination scrying all that kind of stuff is I don't want to give away the entire plot if it's not the appropriate time, right? I have, a, I have a character who's making a divination or they're scrying into a place and now I'm like, oh no, they're going to find out the secret and I wasn't prepared for that in any way. Well, consider maybe it's fine if they learn that information and they can't necessarily act on it, right? You might know that 
the the vizier is a shape changer. How do you prove that the vizier is a shape changer? Oh, I illegally scryed into their like bed chamber. I think I'm mm-hmm. going to jail for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had a wiretapping but, law. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like you know, if if they say I'm going to scry into the enemy base, don't have the shapeshifter BBEG be in their room in their natural state at that particular moment. They don't have to be. Right. Right. You can. Um, give them other useful information than giving away the plot, right? You can learn about the quality of their defenses or the number of their forces or um, the identities of their main lieutenants without knowing the big secret that the BBEG is hiding. Yeah, you can give uh, clues, certainly. Like, why does the BBEG have four sets of armor sized for different people? No idea. Could be lots of reasons. Maybe it's Shape Changer, but... Collector. Now, like the the players have a thread, they're on the right track. They they need to get more information. You're giving them leads rather than just spoiling the entire plot, right? And then you mentioned this, like consider the expenditure of resources. How much is the player spending on this? Yeah, I, I would argue that regardless of how much they spend, you probably don't want to introduce red herrings through these abilities because all that does will. If they connect the red herring to their divination, they'll stop using divinations, right? Because no one wants to be like screwed around, jerked around with, like in the plot. <laughs> they'll just stop. Yeah, you never want to use. Feel like you used an ability, and it would have been better if you had done nothing instead. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe it doesn't give you valuable information, and you're aware of that, right? Like the spell failed. The information was too vague to act upon. That's fine, right? Like that happens. That's one way of protecting yourself, but giving them deliberately false information to lead them down a path that wastes their time, it feels so bad they stop engaging with that mechanic, which is yeah, worse. That wastes <laughs> your time too. Like right. it wastes your plot. It wastes prep time. Um, I would also say like this is a good time to maybe diverge from rules as written with a lot of these abilities. I think a lot of them are often written poorly, where there's like a decent chance where the information you get either is wrong or you just don't get any useful information. And so it's sort of been a crapshoot that you you basically wasted this ability. People who feel like they wasted their ability also aren't going to use it. Again, I would just rather fireball. Ah, uh, yes. The, the wheel and woe outcome of divination. <laughs> it's like, cool. One time you can say, uh, it's going to be good and it's going to be bad. That's, that's fine. But like the second time you tell me, oh, it's going to be part good and part bad, I stop using the ability because obviously you're not going to give me anything useful no matter how hard I try to make my fifth level spell count. Right. And like how often actually in a campaign are you going to get somebody who's like, oh, wait, I augury what's on the other side of the door. This is going to be awesome. Like, just give useful info. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They're going to peek through the keyhole anyway. Just let them do it. (laughs) Right. Let someone be like, oh, yeah, I knew that that's what would be in there. You confirmed it with your perception check. Right. You can also do this thing where you, you aren't necessarily trying to corral these threads into something that makes sense because of a prediction you can just let the chips fall where they may this is probably like more appropriate when you have a plot or backstory relevant information like fortune telling right you can just have a situation where someone gets their fortune told and you don't have to plan their fortune tying in with a particular backstory tying in with like the way that the campaign is going to end you can just like have them draw a card at random or like literally roll bones like roll dice and and see what comes up and then that just becomes part of their story if it doesn't work out in the like immediate future it was a slightly longer looking fortune because if you play long enough it'll eventually come true 
Yeah, there's always going to be a time where you're like, yeah, well, there you go. Uh, Two weeks ago, you had your fortune fortune you had? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think even when you sort of have the mechanics down and, you know, you know the phrase that you're going to say, part of the fun of divination is the the mysticism, the oddity of it, uh, using paracausal technology or whatever that is enabling someone to see the future or to to see far away. So I think you really want to lean into the flavor, whatever that flavor is of these abilities. Yeah. If there's, you know, mysticism or as you said, paracausal tech or like, you know, deep AI hacking that has to go on, like lean into those things, right? Like make that moment where the character opens their third eye for the first time impactful right? It's the first time we've seen this, or it's it's an expansion of what we've seen them do before. Like, this is a powerful moment for this character. Mm-hmm. Players, and GM, if your players aren't doing this, ask them, right? Prompt them. Players, consider the ritual elements that your character is going through when they're invoking these abilities. Are there particular magic words? What are those magic words? Are they using animal bones or, you know, um, bones from maybe uh, someone related to them? Are you burning a particular type of incense? How are you doing that? Is there some sort of miter or do you have, does it have to be in a particular kind of building? Think about how your PC is evoking this ability and think about if it's the same every single time. Yeah, I liked uh, in Castle Amber when uh, whenever my cleric had to make a, uh, a prayer, it was always to the wrong god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you worship the the god of uh, secrets and trickery. Yeah. <laughs> so you never openly say a prayer to your actual god. Right, I have to pray pray to Maglubiet instead of <laughs> my actual god. <laughs> It'll get where it's going. It's like sending a sending a Christmas list to Santa Claus. And you know, these are things that spellcasters usually go through. Like, what what do your um, material and somatic and verbal components look like? You know, flavor your magic however you want. Uh, I say go even deeper with these particular kinds of abilities because they're often literally like rituals in in 5e and D&D or mm-hmm. you know they they take more time or they are limited abilities that sort of take a lot uh, out of you because you're sort of piercing this veil of time or space so what happens to your pc in the moment that they're using it like do their eyes roll back in their head do they fall unconscious and go into some sort of stupor and someone needs to protect them while they're having a vision what's happening what do other people see and how do they react to that? I think uh, one of the most powerful examples I can think of in uh, Campaign Skyjacks, the first time Jonnet um, opens his third eye and like uses that power, everyone is like, holy shit. <laughs> like, whoa, um, that's not normal, right? And it's like, it's such a recasting of his character in that moment. And, and I like when there can be um, sort of a differentiation between the experience the character has and the experience that other people in the party have. And it can simply be like, oh, I'm having a calm, serene, spiritual experience internally and externally, like winds are howling and there's crackling lightning and people are freaked out because they have no idea what's going on or vice versa, right? It seems like almost nothing is happening to other people, but I'm going on some some sort of crazy astral journey. Yeah, and you can also play with like the time dilation aspect of this too, right? Like you might see a vision that, that takes 20 minutes, but only an instant really passes in the real world. Yeah, this is actually really nice at the table because you can have an extended scene. People can be involved in different ways and it doesn't actually matter how much time has passed in game because you can be like either a ton of time has passed or no time has passed. Right. 
And then I think it can be fun to change all of these elements that you've decided depending on the medium of the divination or the power source of it, right? So for example, a cleric who's communing with their deity, like that should feel different to the character and it should look different to other people than a wizard who is using arcane magic to contact a different plane and some sort of, you know, crazy entity who doesn't quite understand human logic. Yeah, versus like the uh, the hacker who is, you know, uh, building a tech-based Tesseract view um, and, and, and like scanning a Tesseract for information of, of timelines. Like, okay, <laughs> like that's not going to be the same, right? Like seeing hundreds of thousands of different futures and parsing them down very quickly. Right, like in the immediate area are like improbable things suddenly happening or like, you know, dice always landing on snake eyes for some reason or, you know, glass objects are falling and, and not cracking or falling up or whatever, right? Right. And this is especially interesting when you have characters who can do uh, these same things differently in the same party or one character who can do them in different ways based on like asking different entities or using different power sources or whatever, because yeah. then... You know, from a from a story perspective, it becomes apparent what is happening and then, you know, NPCs can respond appropriately, et cetera, et cetera. In the same way, the answers can also be phrased differently or described differently. Like the the view that you get peering through a time tunnel looks different from the view that you get peer, uh, peering into um, like a pool of holy water to scry. Mm hmm. I like to sort of imagine the person giving the information, whether it is an actual entity like a like a god um, or or if it's just almost like a genre, you know, like like sci fi. I like to imagine them as an NPC, like a separate NPC. Uh, what is the voice of the otherworldly entity that is giving you the information about legend lore? What is their personality? How do they phrase things? And if it is not a particular entity, then you can at least use the terminology of a particular genre to to describe things, right? Like um, portals dilate if they're science-based, mm -hmm. right? They, they don't necessarily just open. All right, so let's talk about how to resolve these uh, divinations. So one way is that it'll be pretty obvious, you know, like whatever the outcome, that's definitely whoa. It's going to be bad. Probably don't want to murder that noble. The augury said, whoa, we kicked in the door. It's a dragon. Well, that augury was right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely tell the future. Good job. You could also have a situation where that meaning dawns on the party later, right? Oh, a lance of light. Is that a physical lance? Is that a, like, a sunbeam spell, a moonbeam spell, right? Like, is it one of those types of things? Is it, you know, a, uh, a beam of light coming through a crack uh, in the ceiling and highlighting a specific area item. it's a lightsaber it's a lightsaber, it's a lightsaber. okay yeah of course Fine. It is. <laughs> uh, and in this instance the gm should really feel free to explain out of character um and you can you can just tell a player hey your character has this realization you're like oh a lance of light even if the player isn't like oh a lance of light you can be like oh you look up you see that that crack in the ceiling of the cave where the sunlight is coming in it looks like a thin crack it looks kind of like a lance of light to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then the player at least has information to be like, oh, that's probably the the way out, right? right. Not the the obvious tunnel that leads left or right. Those were those were false choices. Right. The, this is the wheel way, not the woe way. Right. Um, and then as players, feel free to ask the GM if their character thinks this, right? Like the, the GM is trying to pass you information. So 
bounce your interpretation off of them as well. Um, you know, if you see that beam of light that seems to be pointing in a direction, like confirm, hey, do I think that's the lance of light? Does that make sense to my character? And as a GM, the answer should probably be yes, or truthful at least. And then always try to give yourself as much time as possible to make things come to fruition. You know, put the results off for a little bit. It gives you time to incorporate whatever, honestly, half-assed metaphors you happen to come up with in the moment. You're like scribbling it down as you're saying it. And you're like, oh, I'll save this for later and figure out what this actually means. Okay. Yeah, definitely write it down. <laughs> if you can't resolve it immediately, definitely write it down. Because yeah. <laughs> somebody else will just to just to ding you later. And it gives you time to do things like build an actual encounter around the predicted enemies. You know, if if the the augury said that there were going to be, you know, um, flying monsters, then great. You can put in some flying monsters, at least. So that was true. Mm -hmm. uh, or specific treasure, right? The lance. If the Lance of Light is a sunblade, then have that be in the treasure chest at the end of the combat. Right. And then it's it's also fine to have multiple answers. Um, there might be three things in the encounter that could be interpreted as the Lance of Light, and the players will end up deciding which of them is the right answer based on which they kind of identify and glom onto as the Lance of Light. Yeah, this is kind of like seeding multiple plot hooks. You have multiple things that they their character could be like, oh, that's it. And then they get to they get to make it come true. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be conscious. They say, oh, this is the answer to that riddle or or fortune telling. I'm going to go grab it. And by the act of them making that choice makes it the right answer. Right. Exactly. All right. There are definitely some caveats that we should mention before we wrap up here. Um, I think one of them is just verisimilitude, right? Um, the idea that this god wouldn't know the answer. So you get nothing. You prayed to the wrong entity. Remember that all of these abilities are are meant to move the story forward, not to become a blockade. So if verisimilitude, if like in-game logic is going to prevent an ability from being useful, especially if a player would have no way of knowing that, right, before before they use it, find a way to make it useful or or just to ignore it or come up with the reasoning so that uh, people are happy that, you know, they spent resources. Yeah, the the fact that that deity doesn't know the answer better come with some uh, information that makes it clear why that's true that moves the players forward, right? Like the the null result needs to actually advance the plot as well, even if that is the the true verisimilitude answer that you need to come up with. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned this earlier too. Like, you know, if your options are wheel, woe, nothing, or wheel and woe, like one hundred percent of situations can be both wheel and woe you can reason yourself into that but don't because it might make sense in game but it's less fun right especially when you're dealing with fortune telling there are just a lot of unfortunate sometimes flat out racist fortune telling tropes uh looking at you vistani um there there are a lot of like um tropes about indigenous people going on you know vision quests or or whatever that um if you hew too closely to them, they definitely become caricatures and nobody wants that at their table. Yeah, I mean, even even some of the like the methods that you use to enact divination can uh, lean on the appropriation side. Um, tea leaves, rolling bones, those types of things are ancient, but also 
modern in some cultures. So uh, just be cognizant of how you're using those things. And especially if you're characterizing them in a sort of a negative or untrustworthy way. Right. Or spooky. Right. Or exotic. Right. Ugh. And then I think players who want easy or reliable answers from their divination can get a little demanding sometimes where they're like, oh, this is a fourth level spell. Like it should tell me where to go. Well, I mean, that's not what the spell does, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. (laughs) Should have taken a spell that told you where to go. (laughs) (laughs) There's literally a spell called find the path, which literally tells you where to go. So, uh, yeah, you've got some bargaining to do at the table in these cases, right? And sometimes it's better to just get the intention of the player up front so that you can tell them, don't spend this resource. It's not going to do what you're asking for. This is, you know, a square peg in a round hole. I'm sorry. Right. And these are supposed to be cool and fun and sort of fuzzy abilities in general. Don't be a player who's like, first response to any kind of mystery or question is well i'm i'm just gonna ask uh, an extra planar entity and they'll tell me the right answer yeah, cool speak with dead guy right <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean the dead don't know come on they yeah. know everything <laughs> like everyone sees who kills them <laughs> i mean i think that's kind of fun as a um uh, as an in character affectation right where they're like I- i'm gonna do this although i i know it doesn't work every time but my character is gonna be angry that it doesn't work every yeah. time. <laughs> why did i kill them what was the point this is an investigation day i can afford the spell slot we're doing it <laughs> tell me nothing <laughs> i learned nothing <laughs> all right so i think we can we can pretty much wrap this up here uh, this is uh i think divinations are kind of an underutilized aspect of a lot of games right like it's uh they're on every cleric, every wizard spell list. They don't often get a lot of love. Nobody really prioritizes them. Like, um, But it's unfortunate because it can be a valuable tool to move your plot forward, move your game forward, like highlight important plot threads, and, and really help tie things together. Yeah, I think a lot of people avoid them because they're afraid of them or they're afraid of doing them wrong. And the best way to get acquainted with them and have fun with them is just to do them, lean into them, see what happens, you know, have some laughs, joke about like how that prophecy maybe wasn't quite accurate, but hey, I guess you could see where that was coming from. And and then, you know, in the future, you'll get better at it. Yeah. And it can be helpful to have an NPC use these abilities, right? Let, let a safe NPC demonstrate the value of this to the party. Um, and then maybe they'll consider doing it themselves or at least seeking it out. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Just rolling these bones over and over again. I, I'm I'm actually just shaking them. Uh, I don't roll them because it's sort of Schrodinger's fortune. Mm, okay. Uh, I, I like to I like to pretend it's it's always uh it's always wheel. Okay. Well. <laughs> always if, wheel in my book. If it's always wheel or at least always wheel and woe, then it's time to move on to the character creation forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M U N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's malice minus meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week, we're building the Madani Prophet, who is, of course, a 3.5 prestige class. They were divine spellcasters from the dragon-marked House Madani from Eberron that can see into the future and the past and use their dragon marks to cast divinations, read objects, and protect themselves from harm. So, what's the build? 
It is Knowledge Cleric 17, Divination Wizard 2, Rogue One. This feels like heresy. There's, it's called <laughs> Divination Wizard, and you only took two levels of it. It's <laughs> all we needed for. I mean, only Rogue One, you know? <laughs> sure. All right, so uh, Madani Half-Elf uh, gets the Dragon Mark of Detection. You get plus two to Wisdom. Uh, plus one d4 to investigation and inside checks, which stacks with your guidance. So you got a plus d4 basically on all of those. And then you get a bunch of good spells, but the ones that you don't really get from your other classes are Arcane Eye and Divination. So from Cleric, you will get ninth level spells, including things like Guidance, Augury, Commune, Scrying, Legend Lore, like all types of things that are <laughs> basically Divination, right? Like basically tell me information, GM. Um, and then you'll get spells that are appropriate for a dragon mark of detection, locate creature, locate object, uh, detect magic, true seeing, those kinds of things. You get great regular cleric spells, bless old person, spirit guardians. Holy aura is amazing. Find the path, as we mentioned before, is literally tell me where to go, GM. <laughs> Conjure celestial. Call in reinforcements for your divination if you need it. Yeah, planar ally. Like, I don't need you to fight for me. I just need some information. <laughs> Give right. me directions. <laughs> You get two expertises, probably Arcana in History, and your channel divinity lets you get tool or skill proficiency in anything for 10 minutes, and you can read thoughts. Uh, you are a caster cleric, so you will also get potent spellcasting to add to your damage rolls on cantrips, and then you will get aura and object reading, wisdom score number of days into the past. From Wizard, you're here for portent. Every day you're rolling two d20s, and you can use those numbers in place of any d20 roll that you can see, yours or someone else's. And then you get spells like Absorb Elements, Shield, Magic Missile. I like the idea of, of basically using Dragon Mark abilities um, to see into the future, right? You don't really absorb the elements. You dodge out of the way because you saw the blast coming a moment before it happened. You, Your shield isn't a magical barrier force. Again, you weren't there when the sword hit. Or Magic Missile, they never miss. You know where they're going to be. You actually aim them and it, it hits them. Of course it hits them. You knew it would. So then from one level of rogue, we get four skills, we'll get sneak attack for 2d6, and then, of course, two expertises, one of which will be insight. For leveling order, start rogue one, because why not? Then, then take your two wizard levels, uh, and then straight cleric all the way to 17. All right, before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. What do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about the Lancer campaign setting. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the Hard Charger. Well, that's it for episode 258 of Total Party Thrill. I hope you lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.